eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're here to kick around Florida's win over Vanderbilt. Blake, obviously, just looking at it big picture-wise, I think this was a win that Florida really needed just to kind of get back on track. And I think the way it happened in terms of score and everything was probably a huge benefit for the Gators. Yeah, you know, this is kind of one of those, you know, traditions of, you know, a lot of these Gator fans, at least for me watching the team growing up, is, you know, you beat the crap out of Vandy every year. Florida hasn't really done... You know, they have, they've they won some games, you know, pretty handily, but they just haven't completely come out and just, you know, obliterated a team. And I think, um, I, I want to say I saw a stat on Twitter that it was the first SEC shutout since 2012 against Kentucky. Um, so these are a lot of things kind of that I think a lot of Florida fans are getting used to again, you know, kind of, you know, decisively winning against these teams you should. Um, you know, so I think all around, you know, this is, you know, pretty much everything you could have wanted. Maybe start a little bit faster, but, you know, obviously the outcome is the only thing uh, that you have to look at when the final whistle blows. So 56-0, you know, and you, out and you pitch a shutout. I think that, uh, you know, you should be pretty happy with how everything kind of played out. Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about it kind of going into the game. You know, Florida's had some trouble coming off this Georgia game and especially, you know, the disappointment of, of that game and, and last week. Uh, you know, what which Florida was going to show up? Was it going to be the team that – kind of looked deflated against Missouri last year and kind of lost that game before it ever began? Or was it going to be kind of a grown-up Dan Mullen team? And, um, you know, I, I think there were some question marks early on. I know we were just talking about it before the show started. Uh, it was a little bit of a slow start for Florida, not in the sense that, uh, you know, the Gators really were in trouble or anything like that, but just from the fact that they they probably could have scored a lot more. I think Dan Mullen said, you know, we could have been up 35 nothing in the first half, and He's not wrong. I mean, they were driving well on one, you know, on one series, and Kyle Trask throws an interception down there near the red zone. Um, it just seemed like the offense didn't quite fully click until maybe you know they got in there at halftime, were able to clean some things up. Um, but yeah, I thought this this was the kind of game that Florida needed to, as Dan Mullen put it, kind of gain its edge back. And and Florida, they needed this one. I mean, they needed not only to come out and and win, but they needed to kind of reset the focus reset the mojo, all of that. And I think if you're looking at it, you know, the last couple of years, Florida's come off this Georgia game and had to go straight into a game against a pretty good Missouri team with a very good quarterback and Drew Locke and, and a dangerous team to be able to have the luxury to go against what was really a terrible Vanderbilt team, I thought helped Florida out a good bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's all about, you know, 
kind of where you're at now. And since I think Missouri has had Florida's, you know, their number since they've come to the SEC, I think it was good to kind of get this Vandy game out of the way. And it kind of, you know, we talked about it on the last podcast, if you had to kind of pick out of Florida's last three games of Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Florida State, Van, or, uh, excuse me, Missouri is the really one that you kind of have to worry about just because right. of the fact that Florida, it's kind of been, you know, just the thorn in their side. So I think if you can come out on a big win like this and you can come out and win decisively, it kind of carries over this mojo, um, this veteran group. I, I think that, uh, you know, I wasn't really too concerned about them coming off that Georgia loss last week, just because I, I feel like, you know, kind of the mo- motto of the team has been, you know, you know, to keep fighting, keep grinding. So I think that this is probably everything Florida could have wanted. And, and obviously you go out on the road, it's going to be cold out there at Missouri. So, you know, they, it's a lot of just swagger kind of getting that back after, you know, a really deflating loss against Georgia. So I think that, uh, you know, this is really exactly what Florida really needed. You know, this big kind of win like this to kind of carry them off and into hopefully a New York, uh, New Year's. I don't know why I keep calling it a New York six bowl, but I keep doing it a New <laughs> Year's six bowl. So I think that right now Florida still has a lot of things to play for. Um, and they obviously showed that, you know, they can have a quick turnaround and they can, you know, come out and, you know, not kind of, hold on to a lot of ill feelings coming out of that Georgia game. So, you know, short memory, just keep plugging along. Yeah, and I know, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much on it just because it was Vanderbilt and they're they're not very great. But, you know, Florida probably had its poorest game of the season execution-wise against Georgia. And I thought really, you know, a couple key mistakes in the first half aside, I thought this was their most cleanly executed game against Vanderbilt. And we'll kind of get into where, you know, where I thought they had some 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 real improvements going forward in this segment. But... I thought Florida's coaches adjusted pretty well. Um, you know, obviously it was a little bit easier knowing that Vanderbilt starting a backup quarterback. You know, the defense was really able to kind of pin its ears back, and I think we expected that. Um, but then they, they they went out and they executed well, and you had guys like Muhammad Mahmoud. I'm gonna say that name wrong every time. Mahmoud Diabate uh, really stepped up, had a huge game. Uh, I thought Zach Carter and T.J. Slayton had another really really good game. That's two in a row for both of them. Um, so you're starting to see more guys step up, I think. And then, you know, I thought some of the stuff that we kind of had maybe hoped that we would have seen against Georgia, we saw against Vanderbilt. You know, we saw Florida go to press coverage right away, which they never really did much against Georgia. They kind of sat back in zone. And, and I get it. Like when we were, you know, we were talking with some, some people about why, you know, Florida maybe didn't play a little bit more press at the line and kind of challenge Georgia the way South Carolina did. I think Florida was probably so focused on stopping the run against Georgia that they were a little bit worried about playing man coverage uh, where you have your cornerbacks on the edge turning and running with receivers rather than being able to sit in zone and keep their eyes forward. And look, to Florida's credit, they did stop the run very well. Um, so, you know, hindsight's a little bit twenty twenty there. You know, who, who's who's to say that if they go press man that, you know, DeAndre Swift doesn't have a huge game. Um, but we, we did see that Florida's capable of doing that. Um, it's just maybe a matter of, you know, again, in that Georgia game, they, they did, they accomplished their primary goal, but then weren't quite good enough to make the plays when they needed to elsewhere. And I thought this game was, was a much more complete, well-rounded affair. And again, Vanderbilt backup quarterback, you know, not a very good team. Um, but I thought Florida executed really well. Um, Blake, one area I wanted to hit on, because um, I know both you and I have talked about it extensively, was the offensive line. You know, Chris Bleich obviously transferred, or or I shouldn't say transferred, but entered the NCAA transfer portal in the middle of the week, and we talked going into the game about how that might look on the offensive line. I was actually completely wrong because what we didn't know was that Brett Heggie uh, was also dealing with a concussion and was going to be out of the starting lineup. So I had thought maybe they held, they would hold Ethan White in this game if they could and try to preserve that red shirt. I don't think that's on the table anymore. 
Um, I think that Ethan White, you know, showed that he was pretty good in this game. Blake, I'm curious from from kind of a recruiting standpoint, covering him, and we've talked about him before, but what were some of the biggest things that he needed to kind of focus on um, coming into Florida, you know, given his recruiting profile? And then what were some of the things that you thought maybe, you know, were the upside that you could see in him should he end up developing pretty quickly at Florida? Well, you know, I think the the big thing is obviously his weight. Whenever he came in, he was he was really heavy. Um, and I think that should be really commended, the work that, you know, Nick Savage has done, even Ethan has put in. You know, from the day that he enrolled at Florida, he got there, everyone had said that, you know, this guy has really bought in. He's really grinding hard. Um, he's doing everything that he needed to do. And I think whenever you see, you know, the transformation he made from, you know, enrolling early to now, you know, just kind of, you know, slimming down some, um, I feel like that has really kind of changed his game completely. But at the same time, too, this is a guy that came in. He's extremely strong. He was a guy that was coming in, and he was, you know, really in the weight room a lot. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, being an offensive lineman and having already some size anyways and being really powerful, I think that that really kind of helped Florida's line. Only because the fact that, you know, whenever you look at him for the most part of the season, there just hasn't really been any power. There hasn't been any push, at least from the running game. I feel like the pass pro has been good. Um, but, you know, a guy like that, you know, he's just a big hog who's just going to come in and clear holes and push open guys and he's going to impose his will. So I think his strength is really probably one of the biggest things um, that he came in with. Um, and obviously you have Nick Savage who has, you know, done wonders on a lot of guys. So I can only imagine now how much stronger he is now, even just from working out with those guys. But, you know, losing the weight, um, I feel like he looks a lot better. Um, you can look back at his pictures of him in a, from his official visit to now, and it's, you know, it's like he's lost almost like a like a small person. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the strength is really the big thing he brings, and obviously, um, you know, a really hard work ethic. This is a guy that, you know, John Hevesy being, you know, kind of rough around the edges type of coach, this is the kind of kid who's not going to, you know, get in his feelings. He's not going to, you know, feel sorry for himself. He's just going to keep working, and I think that that's what Florida's going to need up there. And obviously, you know, you probably would have liked to preserve the red shirt if you can, you know, to have that guy for the future. But, you know, I don't think a lot of people expected Heggie, um, you know, to get a concussion before that happened. So, you know, it's kind of what you have to do. Um, if you had to throw him into a game, I think Vanderbilt would have been the one to kind of give him some confidence there. But, you know, I think for the most part, he's going to have a pretty bright future if he keeps buying in. Yeah, I'll say the one thing that kind of surprised me, and I, I tried to watch him, uh, you know, when we were watching the game live, just to kind of, you know, get an impression. Anytime there's a new starter in there, I like to kind of try to focus on them a little bit more. Um, and, and the one thing that stuck out to me, and, and Dan Mullen actually said this after the game, uh, when we asked him about how Ethan White performed, was basically – you know, watching live, he didn't really see a whole lot of negative. In other words, he didn't really see many missed blocks, um, which usually it's hard to it's hard to kind of totally evaluate O line play when you're watching live. Uh, so that was a good sign, I thought. And then when I went back and rewatched the game, you know, not only did that kind of confirm that that I thought, you know, Ethan White really didn't miss many assignments, but I thought the one thing that surprised me was he moved a lot better than I thought maybe he would, um, because that had really been Chris Bleich's issue. You know, he just he, he really felt very lumbering when he was pulling into space or moving out into, you know, into areas where he's going to block on screens. And it just, it was slow. You know, the timing was off in the run game. And look, Florida's, Florida's traditional ground game through the middle still didn't really get going against Vanderbilt. But I saw signs that, you know, with more snaps, I think Ethan White can be one of those guys that can be pretty good. He can be an athletic puller. Now, I don't know if he's going to be Mike Pouncey, Marquise Pouncey level good. But he showed some of those flashes that we really hadn't seen in terms of pulling, just being able to physically get out there quickly. 
that I didn't know that we had seen from Blyish. And so I got to be honest with you, that's the kind of thing that, that that one little thing right there, I think, is a huge part of what Florida's run games have been missing. And so I was very encouraged by that. And then, you know, same time, I thought Richard Garage again, had a very, very impressive performance inside. I thought those two really, really handled themselves well at guard throughout the game. Um, again, it's Vanderbilt. I, I, I want to continue to stress that because I, I would hate to, you know, get killed on the podcast because we're, you know, raving about these guys and then they turn around and face Missouri and it's, you know, ugly. Um, but, you know, I think the building blocks are there. The pieces are there. And uh, to me, that's encouraging going forward because I wasn't sure what Florida would have there. And, and now you look at it and you start to say, OK, well, you're going to lose Nick Buchanan. Well, guess what? If Garage and, and um, Ethan White both stick inside, all right, maybe you can start to consider Brett Heggie at center, and then all of a sudden you got three guys that are pretty decent inside. So I thought it was a good showing overall. You know, I thought I thought the other thing that Florida did in this game, though, was I didn't think they tried to pound it inside necessarily. You know what I mean? They they really kind of worked around that. I thought the perimeter run game was it was a big focus clearly for Florida coming in. You saw more jet sweeps this week than they had. Freddie Swain hit a couple you know, for a quick 10 yards. Um, and then, of course, they got Emory Jones more involved, which I thought was very necessary. You know, Emory was able to run a little bit more of the zone read, that type of stuff. Kadarius Tony had a couple big plays out of that. Uh, so I thought overall we just saw a, a more balanced approach from Florida. And, again, only 14 points in the second half. But I think they were able to, you know, kind of go in at halftime and point some things out. And like you said, I thought the veterans kind of bought in. And, and look, this was the game that Florida needed to get its edge back. The question now is, can you can you maintain that going on the road to face a Missouri team that's a lot better playing in their place than they are on the road? I think I think that'll be kind of the test, Blake, is can they continue to take that edge that Dan Mullen thinks they regained and do it in a tough place, cold environment against a, you know, a team that plays better at home? Yeah, especially whenever you have to get up. I believe it'll be. Um, you know, an hour back there. So, you know, time changes, different things. It's cold. Oh, yeah, 11 you, know, I, you know, I just think that this game, you, you know, you needed this kind of confidence booster because, you know, there's just going to be there's going to be some negatives. You know, Florida's on the road. They're playing early. It's cold. It's different. You know, Missouri has played really well at home. So I think that this is really kind of what you needed there. And again, I know it's Vanderbilt, but you're supposed to beat the crap out of these kind of teams. And that's what Florida did. All right, Blake. Well, uh, I want to touch on the defense a little bit, and then I actually think we're going to get a little bit into Florida hoops. Uh, we weren't really planning on that this episode, but big game yesterday. Uh, a little bit of a disappointing result. So I wanted to I wanted to share my thoughts a little bit on kind of where the program's at starting year five. But we'll get to that and and talk about a little bit of how Florida's defense performed against Vanderbilt right on the other side of this break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm here with 
Blake Alderman. My name is Thomas Goldcamp, and we are talking Florida Vanderbilt. We talked a little bit about what Florida did well offensively in this game. Uh, Blake, I thought just as important was Florida's defense. You know, for the most part, through about three quarters, Florida had completely shut Vanderbilt down until, you know, they were really getting into the second and third strings. Um, no Jabari Zaniga in this one, so that remains a little bit of a concern. Florida would obviously love to get him back. At this point, you know, who knows? Not sure. Uh, he's a guy that obviously has the NFL draft in front of him. Um, we thought he was kind of going to be healthy against Georgia. It suffered a very, I don't want to say it was a minor tweak because you never know, but it, it, re-watching on tape that play that he got hurt against Georgia didn't seem like a whole lot. So I don't know exactly what's going on there, but Florida did not have him. And I thought, uh, to the younger guys' credit, they had a lot of guys step up. You know, you mentioned Mahmoud Daibate had, had obviously the huge game. Um, he's surprising to me, Blake, I, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on again, him as a recruit because I was looking at him when he came in in fall camp, and I'm thinking there's no way this guy plays this year. I mean, you know, I think they list him at about 213, and, and honestly, like a lot of times they list these guys, you know, way off, and that looks about right to me. Like he's not a big guy, um, but clearly, clearly I thought was a, a very big factor against Vanderbilt. What, did you see any of that coming as a recruit in terms of stepping up this quickly? You know, I, I think that whenever you look at him, he's a guy that, uh, you know, really seems like he fits well into what they wanted to do with that, you know, weak side edge, you know, type of guy. Um, so, you know, the thing about him, though, from, you know, through his recruiting was is that he was very mature. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that just didn't seem like your normal high school kid. Um, and I think that he's another one of those guys that kind of in the same sense of Ethan White that really bought in. He came in, you know, really ready to prepare, and, you know, and really work hard. Um, he was really, you know, electric as as an edge guy. Um, his last year of high school, he played a little bit more inside linebacker. He played a little bit of different things. I think that seeing him play a little bit out of his position is kind of what, you know, made me feel a little bit more confident that, you know, he's a guy that can come in and be uncomfortable in his first year of college and maybe play a little bit, you know, underweight a little bit, a little skinnier. So, um, you know, I, I'm a little surprised that he made an impact so early, you know, to have a game like that where you completely take over and you have three sacks and, you know, you look like you're still playing high school football at the, you know, in the SEC level. So I think that that was a little surprising. Um, but, you know, this is a guy that the staff really loved. You know, they really liked him a lot. They really knew that he was going to be a guy that was going to make an impact for them, you know, rather quickly. Um, and, you know, this wasn't his first game he's played in. You know, he's played in a couple other games. So he's got a little bit of more confidence under his belt. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that I expected, you know, a guy, you know, in his freshman year that was a little on the slender side to come in and have a three-sack game like this, though. I wouldn't have never guessed that. Yeah, I think some of that was due to scheme uh, and not to take away from his big performance. But, you know, I, I kind of broke down each of the three sacks. And, um, you know, one of the first one was a, a really nice inside stunt around Zachary Carter uh, where he kind of had a free run at the quarterback. Now, I, I will say I say he had a free run at the quarterback. There was a lineman that was there to pick him up and he just outran him slash, you know, kind of shook him. And then on, I believe, his second sack, it was kind of a similar deal, deal where they, they had a guy there for him in pass protection. And he kind of gives, I don't know if it's a head fake or just a, you know, a shoulder tuck, but he kind of leaned under the guy. So he did that twice. So I don't, I'm not trying to take away credit, but, you know, obviously Florida's scheme was to, to get after the quarterback. And certainly he took full advantage of that. You know, his third sack with the strip sack, he was completely unblocked. Um, but he gets there quick, man. I mean, he really does. And um, to what you were saying, he, he does, we talked to him after the game. He does seem like a very, very mature player. And a couple things that, you know, he said were that, you know, 
the biggest adjustment at this level is simply understanding that literally, he said literally almost every guy is bigger than me, stronger than me. And he's like, I'll, I'll get bigger and stronger with time. But really what it's been, you know, in terms of me getting on the field more and playing against Georgia, playing against Vanderbilt has been leaning on these older guys, leaning on the Jeremiah Moons, you know, the Jonathan Grenards, and, and really getting the X's and O's parts of the game to where he's able to read, you know, those, those blockers that are waiting for him and kind of, you know, shimmy him a little bit and get free. But I, I thought, you know, this wasn't his first game that's been very good. I thought he was very good against Georgia. Um, you know, like you said, I, the fact that he's able to be versatile, Florida lined him up in a couple different spots. They lined him up, you know, as a five technique on the edge at one point. I think he played six technique over a tight end at another. And then, uh, you know, on on his one of his sacks, uh, I believe it was the second one, he lines up as a three technique with Jonathan Grenard outside of him. So he's a guy that I think Florida can use in a lot of different ways and, you know, maybe Florida next year doesn't end up playing quite the the same traditional nickel looks that they have, you know, given the struggles they've had at nickelback. But they start to go to more of, you know, a traditional 4-3-3-4 look where he's that kind of hybrid guy that can, you know, even slide inside if you need him to to disguise some things. So I thought he was a really, really positive. Uh, it was a positive performance from him. And I, I think the fact that he's doing this already as a freshman at, you know, we'll say 220 pounds at the most. When he starts to add some weight, man, if he can do that without losing his speed, I think he's going to be really, really good because I think he's got a lot of natural instincts for the position. Um, and then another guy I thought that was a young guy that had a pretty good game was James Houston. You know, he's he's flashed here and there, but I thought he he had an aggressive downhill game where he was really, you know, physical and connected. And uh, overall, I thought the Florida defense, you know, did another good job. And um, like, I guess we should talk about the secondary because, we, you know, we were hitting the phones Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, Friday afternoon, trying to figure out, you know, what all was going on with Trey Dean. Um, essentially, we and we wrote, we've written this on Swamp247.com, so if you haven't seen it there, you don't fully understand the explanation here. Um, essentially, Trey Dean was, has, has been a little bit frustrated. Obviously, he struggled a little bit at the nickelback this year, and um, as I understand it, Dean wanted a shot back outside and thought he could potentially... Uh, do a little bit better than uh, essentially Marco Wilson. He wanted to play opposite from C.J. Henderson. And uh, so he approached the coaches about that. And, uh, you know, I think given the struggles that he had had at Nickelback, the coaches were, were okay with kind of giving him a shot, you know, during practice throughout the week to, hey, all right, you go compete for it. We'll slide Marco inside when we go to Nickel. And, you know, whoever's better, you or Kai Irulam, go go out there and compete for it. And it was late in the late in the week when uh, you know Dean kind of figured out that the coaches were leaning towards you know Elam having earned the first snaps out there outside. That uh, Dean got a little upset and kind of you know voiced those frustrations. Uh, you know, I mean, sourced to us were telling us he quote unquote quit the team. And you know, this is not not necessarily the first time that we've heard about Dean getting upset. So you know, Blake, you and I were talking, and uh, you know, kind of neither of us really were rushing to write anything right away. And sure enough. You know, Florida kind of talked him back from the ledge and, and kind of preached some patience. Um, but I thought, you know, Trey Dean played outside, and I, I thought there were less signs of him kind of struggling. I thought he he played pretty well out there. And um, granted, Vandy didn't have a whole lot of time to throw, so it's, not it's again, not a true test. Um, but I, I do think you might see Florida's coaches start to look at him a little bit more outside again and maybe try to move Marco inside a little bit more permanently to nickel. Blake, we've talked about it a lot this year. I don't know that either of us believes that Dean is a fit there. Uh, what do you think about the move potentially back to outside cornerback at this point? 
you know, I think that's a better move for him. You know, I just don't think it's really working too well at that nickel spot. You know, each week it seems like he's either struggling or he's being picked on. And I think that that is where you can see his frustrations because, you know, it just doesn't look good. Um, so I think you have to go back to a lot of what he did last year. Um, I know it was in, you know, injury situation to where he kind of got thrown into the fire earlier. But for the most part, I think as a freshman, he played really solid there. I think that there were, you know, a lot of people that were complimenting his game. They thought, you know, that, man, this guy could have a really bright future here. Um, so I think that, you know, with his length, I, you know, I think that that might be the better fit for him. If you can't move him in in some kind of other safety position, you know, I, I don't know if he's a guy that, will really be a full-time safety, at least not at the nickel um, spot. But I think if you have a guy that can be versatile enough to move outside, move to some safety here and there, and kind of pl- – I call them plug-and-play guys to kind of yeah. plug him in and, and get him in there. Um, he's obviously versatile enough, but, you know, I just don't think the nickel spot is really working out for him. And I think it's probably time, you know, to maybe look into Marco being there. Um, you know, I know in a game like Vanderbilt, it doesn't really matter. You could have thrown probably Chester Cheeto out there and he would have been fine. Um, but, you know, I think going forward – Florida has, you know, these next couple games, you know, maybe not so much Missouri unless you kind of see how the waters go there, if you can kind of jump out early. But I think Florida has the luxury of maybe two weaker um, games to kind of finish out the season to maybe kind of shop around some guys and continue to kind of see how they are in game situations. And then kind of building up to your bowl game to where you kind of have a better idea of where your secondary is, um, you know, just who's going to play better just because I think for the most part, you know, Dean, I understand his frustrations because I think John Huggins was probably going to be the guy at nickel, and now you don't have him there. So I think for some of the season, Florida's kind of been shopping, you know, around, you know, who's going to fit in here? How are we going to do this? Well, you know, we don't really have anybody, so let's just keep Dean there. So now I think they have a little bit more options. I think you continue this week to see how Dean does out wide and, you know, continue to have him compete against Kyer Elam. But I I think that that move is probably something they need to look into a little bit more permanently. Yeah, and while talking to Dan Mullen about it after the game, he said basically, you know, they're they're trying to jumpstart Dean's confidence a little bit. I mean, it's not surprising that uh, you know, he may have taken a little bit of a hit confidence wise, you know, moving into that spot and thinking, you know, coming off a pretty good freshman year, it was really gonna be a breakout season for him, and it just hasn't been. Um, so I think it, you know, in some ways the fact that Dean really kind of wanted to play outside speaks a little bit to his confidence doing that. And if you know, I mean confidence is key a lot of times out there. I mean, you're on an island, you don't want to second guess yourself. Uh, if he feels more comfortable there, um, I don't. I, I still don't know long term that maybe that's the best fit. Um, just because I think Kyrie Lim's been pretty good, yeah, uh, and I think he's got a, a bright future. Sure. Um, but like you said, it's it's just it was at the point where it was hard for Florida to early in the season kind of move guys around. Like you said, Dean was the only real clear guy they even had working there early. Now that they've got a little bit more experience under Elam's belt, you know that that Wilson you know, is not coming right off the ACL injury anymore. He's had nine games to, you know, get back up to speed. I think they do have more options. I do think that you'll continue to see them kind of move Dean around a little bit, you know, maybe in bowl prep uh, in the offseason to try to figure out exactly where the best spot is for him. Um, but, you know, I, I have to say this is good. That is good to see that he at least stuck it out and was willing to play this weekend and wasn't pouty over that. You know, again, it's, these guys go through a lot, you know, and, and we're sitting here talking about it on a podcast Um, we're not the guys out there that, you know, have people telling them about the podcast where we were talking about trading, you know, losing his confidence. So it's hard. I mean, these are young kids. It's hard. And I get it. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, that's what it is too. I mean, that this is what college football is playing at this level. And so, uh, you know, sometimes there's an adjustment period and I think, I think Dean's probably going through a little bit of that, but 
Um, you know, I think Florida will have some answers there going forward. Um, but Blake, I wanted to shift over to hoops. Um, I don't know how much you caught of the game yesterday. Probably not a whole lot. I know you're traveling back from a wedding, but, um, I think it's fair to say that this was a disappointing loss for Florida in that it started off looking like, you know, the same kind of troubles that Florida has had lately where the Gators just didn't seem to have a very good offensive plan. And I think a lot of that goes back to Mike White. Blake, I know you've got a lot of Florida fans, so so let me maybe put it to you, uh, put it to you this way. Um, what have you, from, from friends and uh, fans, people in Lakeland even maybe, what is your sense of where fans are at on Mike White right now? And then I'll attack kind of where I think, you know, maybe it should be. You know, I think a lot of fans for the most part think Mike White is a great recruiter and a not so great coach as far as, you know, in-game calls, you know, just kind of how he runs the whole tempo of the game. You know, I think a lot of Florida fans, um, you, you know, I, I feel like they're starting to get a little testy with him. You know, I think that, you know, whenever you lose, I believe this was the sixth straight loss to FSU. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you got to beat those kind of teams. You know, you have to beat those rivalry type of games. Florida State has been, you know, a little bit more of, a, you know, a household name as far as hoops go, maybe in the, you know, the recent years. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's almost like, you know, you can recruit great all you want. You know, you can bring in all these stud players. And I think that Mike White has done that. He's done a really great job there. This is his most talented team there. But there still seems to be the same type of little miscues. There still seems to be, you know, just things that I think are on Mike White. And, you know, and I think that now, um, you know, you, you can recruit Gray all you want. But fans are going to want to see you win these type of games. And I think that ultimately that's going to, you know, be, you know, maybe something that – could you know kind of damper him there you know I, I don't know that i didn't watch enough of the game to really see how things went but i mm-hmm. think for the most part i think fans are starting to get a little tired of mike white as far as how he does in-game coaching and whatnot you know i i know after every loss you know you always see the threads fire mike white fire this guy fire that guy and you know i don't know that you can really jump into that now but i think that this might be uh, no this might be this is the most talented team he's had in gainesville so th- those excuses are really out the window this year Right, and I think that's kind of the backdrop you have to look at it with is Florida fans, you know, you're looking at a number six ranking in the country. And look, Mike White has told us this is not the number six team in the country. There's no way, like, you know, he's basically said they're not that good. Um, I've even hinted at it. You know, I I said I thought this this might be a top ten team come midseason, but based on what we saw in the exhibition in the game against North Florida, I was like, they're going to have some some lumps in the non-conference schedule. Now, that said, again, when you're looking at the talent on paper, you've got one of the best big men in college basketball in Kerry Blackshear. You've got two five-star freshmen. You've got the core of your team returning from last year. Um, I can see how on paper a lot of fans would think this is going to be a really good team right away. Now, here, here's a couple things, because I, I think both sides of the argument have a lot of valid points. Mike White said after the game that Florida right now is a team that has a talented senior, Kerry Blackshear Jr., Three sophomores that, frankly, lost 16 games last year. So not to totally, he's not totally poo-pooing on them. But look, these guys are still learning themselves. You know, they lost a lot of games last year. They didn't fully get it last year. And then you've got five true freshmen that don't know how to play a high-level game. And that's that's true. That's just true right now. Scotty Lewis will get there. Trey Mann will get there. They're both going to be very, very good players probably sooner than later. Okay, like by SEC play, those guys are going to be really good players. But it takes a little bit of learning when you're playing a team that defends like FSU and denies, denies, denies everything, will challenge you on every pass, 
all that. Like that's just not something that happens from a defensive standpoint in the high school game. Right. So you can give those guys a little bit of a pass, I think, offensively. What was more concerning to me was that Florida didn't even when it had its starters in there, guys like Nemhard, you're not getting they weren't really getting into an offensive possession until 15 seconds into the clock. There was no real inside out movement. Kerry Blackshear is a veteran guy and Mike White's got to have a better plan for how to use him, feed it into the post, force it into the post and then maybe look for kickouts. He's a great passer, but there's just very little inside out game. And so I totally understand those concerns from the fans, and I agree with them. In year five, Mike White's got to find a better way to generate more offense. He said that after the game. Um, I think in some ways, and and Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel made this point that, that kind of rang true for me because I've listened to Mike White break down X's nose. He sat there and bro- gone through game film with the media and off-the-record stuff before, and the guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, He clearly sure. knows what he's talking about. But I think, and Edgar said this and pointed it out, and as soon as he said it, I was like, that sounds right. He said, whatever it is, Mike White knows all these X's and O's. He kind of knows what he wants to do, but it seems like there's a disconnect in terms of that information getting to the players. Like, whatever whatever is happening, there's something lost in translation. And I kind of, that that sounds right to me. That's So, whatever it is, going into year five, Mike White's got to figure out a way to much more quickly than they did last year go out and figure out how they're going to establish the offense, how he's going to get these players to understand it. Because this is a team, talent-wise, that should not be losing many more than 10 games. If this is a 15-16 loss team, Mike White has miserably failed with the, with the amount of talent he has, okay? And look, this Florida State team, it wasn't as good as previous Florida State teams, right? So there's issues. Now, having said that, again, this is a team that has three sophomores that lost 16 games last year. They've got five true freshmen. There is a lot of learning that's going to happen, and Florida will get much better during the course of the season. The question is, how much, how quickly? And I think that's where you see the angst. Um, rivalry games, in, in in all reality, in college basketball, just don't really matter the way they do in football. I know everybody hates to lose to FSU, but it's not it's not a one-game season like football. Where yeah, the season's not that. over. It has very, very little to do with recruiting, whereas in football, it probably has a lot more to do with recruiting. Um, it doesn't mean a ton. It's super frustrating, super frustrating. Don't get me wrong, because I think every Florida fan's walking in there you know, into the the Odom. It was a great environment. You could tell the place was ready to rip and roar. And it's just, you know, it was deflating. There's no other way around it. But um, one of the other things I think that's going to be key for Mike White is going to be, particularly because there's this backdrop now of fans that, like you said, are, are antsy, are a little bit ready to, they're a little bit quick. They're going to be quicker this year to throw in the towel after every loss than they were even last year. You know, because there's going to be less patience with a group that's this talented. Um, there's talk about Mike White's job. I mean, just the reality of the situation, the guy sound, he signed an extension last year, but fans are talking about his job and that's never a good situation. Right? So there's a lot of external pressure. There's a lot of external noise. And I think how Mike White handles that with his players and manages to keep them locked in and engaged is going to be as important as anything. Uh, Blake, I was actually just, just talking to Marty Cohen. Uh, he, he texted me. Um, I actually haven't even answered him yet, but he, he was kind of, uh, giving me his thoughts on the game and, uh, I think he's absolutely right. One of the things that Mike White has struggled with in his career at Florida is finding ways to instill confidence in guys. You know, he's very critical of what they need to fix, what they need to do. They're too soft. They're too, uh, you know, they're they're not locked in enough defensively, all this and that. Very rarely have players seemed to gain in confidence under Mike White. And you can point to a lot of different examples. You know, Kayvon Allen kind of dropping off. Jalen Hudson's, you know, weird disappearance last year. 
there's a lot of examples. And so there may be something to that. Um, and when you've got a team, like, like we said, that has three, three sophomores that are still learning, five true freshmen, Mike White's going to have to figure out a way to install some confidence in those guys. And that may be his biggest challenge as well. Um, because there's a lot of external factors that are going to work against that. I think this year, um, he, I, I think Mike White has his hands full and I, I, this maybe sounds more critical than I even intended it, but that's just the reality of the situation. I think it's a long season. There's plenty, plenty of time to get it right. There's plenty, plenty of talent to get it figured out and get it right. Um, but Mike White, I think, needs to continue to work toward it very quickly. I think he needs to be open to outside ideas. You know, if his assistants have ideas on ways they can change things, he needs to be willing to listen because this Florida team did not look like a team that was ready to make a Final Four run, that was ready to even make a you know a semi-deep NCAA tournament run. There was a lot that was wrong yesterday. And given some of the talent they have, um, you don't want to see that again. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end up turning into a testy season. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. I, I just wanted to drop out those few points because, you know, what Edgar said to me, what Marty said to me, both of those things made sense to me. And, and I don't know that there's an obvious answer for either of those, you know, in terms of Mike White being able to communicate exactly what he's looking for on the offensive end better or, you know, just being able to instill confidence a little bit better. Uh, but I think those are two things that, you know, they, they hit a home for me, and I, and I thought it was worth discussing at least a little bit on the podcast, you know, before we kind of turn the page to Missouri. Yeah, you know, and I think one thing just to add before we move on, I think a lot, at least from the fan perspective, you know, and I'm not really one to blame the media. You can't ever blame the media. But I think a lot of fans have seen, you know, this Florida team is a Final Four team. This team is going to be a number one NCAC. This team is great. This team is this. This team is that. And I think now... Whenever you hear all those things, I think just, you know, a, a lot of expectations were a lot higher. And, and, you know, they probably should be, again, because this is going to be one of his more talented teams. I know there's some freshmen there, but they're talented. And I think every fan, at least in the SEC, I feel like every team, if you have a good team, all, you always have to kind of compare them back to Kentucky because Kentucky has all these freshmen in. Well, we sign these five stars. We top these guys, you know, top guys. Kentucky just, you know, replaces them every year. Why can't we do that? So, you know, I think that a lot of fans now – um, you know, that's not to say that Florida's not going to have a good season or they can't have a good season. But I think whenever you have, you know, so early in the season, you see a loss like that, especially to Florida State. Well, you know, this guy at, at this website dot com says that we're going to be a final four team. Well, we don't look like one. So I think it's early in the season. You can't panic. But I think a lot of that is just you know, maybe a you know a little air dropped out of some of these guys balloons, you know, to see that, you know, how highly talked about Florida was, you know, you bring in Kerry Blackshear. Wow. Wow. Florida's, you know, man, they're so much better now. They're this, they're that. So, you know, one guy's obviously not going to make the team that much better. You have to have everyone kind of playing collectively around them. Um, you know, obviously Blackshear has enough talent to win some games for Florida, but you know, I'm with you. I think some of these younger guys, you know, uh, they're going to continue to get better. They're going to continue to get their feet wet and Florida still has a lot to play for. You know, again, it's, it's still really early in the season there, but I, you know, I think that at least some of it has to do with just how hyped up this team maybe was kind of in the off season leading up. Yeah. And I, and look, I'll be honest with you. I think part of that is the fact that like, again, I've sat down with Mike Wyatt and, and watched him go over X's and O's and he's clearly a very brilliant basketball mind. And I know a lot of people are going to listen to that and think it's absolutely ludicrous because of the on, on the court results. But look, there's a reason that a lot of these national guys are so high on Mike white and they're so high on Florida and it's not, it's not out of nowhere. Okay. Um, so look, I, I think there may legitimately be a transmission issue where whatever white knows in his head and is trying to coach is just maybe not quite said the right way for his players. Maybe he gets a little too in the weeds with it or whatever. 
um, you know, like Edgar said, and, and I think there's probably something to that, but like you said, there's, there's a long time. There's a, there's a, you know, it's a, it's a long season. So we're, he's got to figure already, it out. At least yeah, he's got I've already ranted enough on this. So, uh, well, I think Blake, we'll leave it at that. And, uh, you know, we'll come back later in the week with our, uh, Missouri preview. It's going to be a cold one. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure we'll be checking the weather reports before then. And, uh, we'll have a better idea after talking to some Florida players and coaches this week, kind of where they're at coming off that big win Vanderbilt win and, and what the challenges are going to be this week up in Columbia. But uh, we thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you have not already, go ahead and drop a like or a uh, five-star review on the podcast. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday, guys. Thanks for listening.